Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at Jordan Peele's new horror film, Us. We're also going to take a look back at the uh, Best Picture nominee for last year out of Poland, a movie called Cold War, available on Amazon Prime. We're going to talk about this Apple TV Plus thing, because that's definitely worth talking about. Uh, mainly some of the people that were on stage with Mr. Tim Cook. Hard side eye at Steven Spielberg, but before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news. Uh, actually, maybe we sh should we start with correspondence? Is that what we should begin sure, the show? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, we, we should start we, with correspondence, because yeah. that's that, that's the most important thing. Fans, obviously, it's the only reason we do this. It's not because we like movies, it's because we want to talk to you about the movies. And the first <laughs> exactly. thing is Mr. Jeff Greco, I think this was on Facebook, if I'm yes. correct. He said of our show last week talking about Triple Frontier. He said, Triple Frontier honestly was a letdown for me personally. I was so hyped for it, but so many plot points were left unfulfilled. Bummer. I uh I didn't I agree. I agree. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> really? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if I was just like enamored by the star the star-studded cast or the complete lack of uh, showing and instead just telling us what the war was like in, in these guys' <laughs> past. That I didn't notice the the number of plot points that didn't go anywhere. Can you give me an example or what do you what do you mean when you say you agree well, with that? Well, I mean he says un unfulfilled, so I don't I don't think that means that they were didn't go anywhere. I think it just means that the, they weren't you know all that exciting or didn't pay off uh, really in a satisfying way. Which I is agree, kind of yeah. how I felt. And the whole first act of that movie is a bore. It's it's a sleeper the whole the whole first bit. Well, and it's it's hard to do that that part of the uh, getting the team together well. Again, Inception I feel is, is the standard for that kind of thing, uh, but it's difficult to do because you you just want to get to Act Two where you're you know you're doing the thing, you're pulling the job. Right. You just want to get to the goods and then how it all goes wrong. That's that's ultimately what the film is. Getting the crew together is a tough bit. And like Triple Frontier phones it in. It's just, it's a whole lot of telling, not a whole lot of showing. But regardless, let's move on to our first story of the week. Thank you, Jeff, for writing in. We appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, Bloomhouse is remaking The Craft. Yes, the 1996 cult classic about goth witches starring Nev Campbell. I was very young in 96. Andy, you mind filling people in on what The Craft is in case they don't know? <laughs> yeah, as an old man, I can tell you, uh, this was a huge deal when it came out. It's a story of these uh, high school girls who kind of get into witchcraft and eventually get... Uh, like powers and begin to hurt kind of their enemies in a very high school immature fashion. Hell uh, yeah. Uh, but it, it was, it was very dark. It was very Gothic. Um, you know, everyone started to copy their looks. The uh, Nev Campbell was a huge influence for the bulk as well. Um, it, the movie was a huge hit. It, it was a big cultural um, thing as well. It became a cult classic and uh, and it's being remade, and I think that that's pretty exciting. I am definitely looking forward to kind of an updated version of it. Uh, it's going to be directed by, what's her name here, Zoe Lister-Jones, who also directed a movie called Band-Aid in 2017, and her IMDb is a series of things that I'm not familiar with. Uh, she's also an actress. She was in the show New Girl and Life in Pieces, two shows that... I don't watch. Obviously, Bloomhouse believes in her a little bit. I know they usually take a chance on uh, some kind of odd projects, but for remaking the craft uh, for a new audience, why not try something edgy? Why not try somebody new? I'm interested to see um, what comes of this, I guess. Any any hot takes? Well, so, so the craft is, it's not scary. Like, it's not a horror movie. It's more kind of psychological, sociological. So I would like to see a much darker take. I'd like to see it go kind of the, take that full horror approach. Um, but it could it could go in other ways. It could be more I, I don't know action based, mystical. Who knows? But it, you know it's going to have to deal with things like social media, the internet. Like none of these things were around in '96, really. Well, this is a Bloomhouse production, the remake. So I'm, I would imagine it will probably be a little bit horror, horror, a little bit teenage drama because that's kind of what they go for. This article is out of bloody disgusting. So I guess we'll have to see. But either way, keep it here at Off Script for more on the craft remake. From Bloomhouse. I can't wait to see what comes of this. Please, please <laughs> drop a trailer, Bloomhouse. Please, God. Our second story, uh, MoviePass co-founder. Yes, MoviePass. We're still kind of talking. It's been a while since we've talked about MoviePass, to be fair. That's but yes, MoviePass co-founder is using facial recognition to get you free movie tickets with a catch. Uh, this is a new app called Pre-Show. They actually just started a Kickstarter, Kickstarter for it. Uh, this week, uh, as, as we're recording the show, they're aiming for $10,000. They hit $15,000. Andy... I found this story. Do you want me to fill people in, or, or do you know about it? What's uh, I just know a little little bit about it. They they want pe they want to pay people to to watch ads, 
in, I guess, movie tickets. So you got to sit through 20 minutes of ads and you get a free ticket, which is not free because it costs you time. People forget that just because you're not paying money doesn't mean you're not paying something. <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting about this service, uh, as far as I can tell, like I said, it's an app. As soon as you fire it up, how you sign in isn't a username and password. It's facial recognition. Your camera on your phone will look at your face and see what you're doing. And they're going to use eye tracking technology to make sure you're watching the ads. According to this, uh, if you block your phone, if it doesn't recognize your ads, if it doesn't recognize your face, it'll stop your ad after five seconds and you have to do nothing until uh, you have to pay attention, I guess, until it starts again. Once you get through 20 minutes, you get yourself a movie ticket. According to this anyway, that's that's the claim. Uh, wh what do you think about this? This is super creepy, man. Like, I, lo I love going <laughs> to the movies. I love going to the movies. It, it's not worth sitting through 20 minutes of, of garbage ads. I mean, can you imagine 20 minutes of that? Um, and then it's super creepy that it watches you back. It, cra it tracks your eye movements. And, you, you know, someone's going to figure out a way to game this. Like, th they just will. That, that it's, always, it's a challenge when people do this kind of thing. They're like, oh, no, I'll, I'll figure something out because someone will figure out how it works, and then they'll reverse engineer it and find out how to game the system. And also, I think people just aren't going to do it because, you know, I mean, time is a valuable resource, and I'm, I don't want to sit around 20 minutes watching an ad. There's one significant place I would think this would actually be, be functional. It's during a movie pre-show. Like if I was sitting in, in the theater a half hour before my movie starts with nothing to do uh, and it was just the pre-show rolling, I could whip this open and actually just watch 20 minutes on my phone instead and get a free movie ticket. That's the only setting which I think this might be viable. And even then, I might be more inclined to watch whatever's on screen. It's just a goofy idea from a goofy company. And, and I... I I guess I don't mind the concept, but ultimately having to use eye tracking technology to make sure you're paying attention. Come on. Like, where, where, where are we going great. with this? You know? Yeah, that's, that's goofy. Well, so. well not, not only that, it, the other thing is ads are generally getting shorter and shorter. You know, you see five second, 10 second video ads on, on YouTube or, you know, other platforms, uh, something like Twitch, I think. Anything longer than five, 10 seconds, people are out there zoning out there to switching to something else. <laughs> so I don't see people sitting around for 20 minutes of ads. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I guess keep, keep it here. We'll keep you posted on more movie pass stuff. Honestly, real quick sidebar for a second. I don't mind that we haven't been talking about them. I like that they've kind of faded into obscurity. You know what I mean? We were, yeah, we were, we were pretty heavy on the movie pass for a while. Our last story, uh, weekend box office. Us nabbed seventy million dollars, the thirdest, the thirdest, the third <laughs> highest horror opening ever. Uh, crazy. They made seventy million dollars on an original horror film in freaking March. And any hot takes on this? Yeah, these are huge numbers. So his first film, Get Out, which was a huge hit, opened to thir about thirty-three million. Um, so this is more than double that, of course. And uh, again, the fact that it's the third highest opening for a horror film, it, it's apparently also the second highest opening for an original film, which Ever. blows my mind because the first one is Avatar, the which made a grossing film of all time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which made a billion dollars. So, wow. um, it, it, it's crazy. That just shows you how many properties are kind of reused or recycled or adapted from, from other places. Um, I'm really glad that this movie is, is, a big hit and it's going to have legs um, th that just solidifies Jordan Peele more as not only as a good director, but as someone who can bring in, bring in the money. And that's an important part of, of have of being a director and making your, your movies continue to be seen. They, they have to be commercially viable for anybody who's just so anxious for us to get through the news and start talking about us and our review. We'll get there in like less than a minute. I promise just one, one quick thing. Yeah, this is nothing but good. We need more original cinema, making big money at the box office. People like Jordan Peele. They want to see what he's doing next. This is obviously something that resonates with folks. It's a great formula. It's a great model. Make more movies like us. That's <laughs> a good It's a good way to go, I think. Uh, people, yeah. people like seeing this stuff at the movies. Well, with that, I suppose we should move on to our formal review. Uh, you've given me the summary for us. You will be taking the summary for Cold War. My friend, you have lost this episode because I, I do not envy you at all. Uh, but let's get into it. This is Jordan Peele's Us. What are you people? It's us. 
So, Us is a fascinating little horror film from Jordan Peele, of course, the creator of Get Out and co-star of Key and Peele. Us is the story of the Wilson family out on vacation, the four of them, mom, dad, uh, the older daughter, and the younger son, uh, visiting their grandma's house, the mom's mom's house, uh, and, and the mom revisiting some, uh, some troubling times when she was a kid, some things that uh, really got to her and affected her as she grew up. And uh, out on vacation, they discover one evening a, a family in their driveway and upon investigation discover that this family is in fact a group of doppelgangers that look exactly like them just just different enough so visually yeah. we can tell and we'll get into that but yeah. ultimately they have to deal with this uh, group of themselves and ultimately uh, figure out who they are in retrospect to uh, this group of in invaders, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it is a fascinating film. Uh, lots of twists and turns. Um, I, 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 I think it might be tough to talk about this movie without getting into spoilers, but I think we can do an okay job because the trailer really does limit what what you see i watched it again before the movie just to make right, sure i right. can understand our boundaries here andy what did you think of us <laughs> man i really love this movie it really grabbed me i i was into it the whole time there's great performances there there's good music it's good mood incredible cinematography great performances uh, it, it's some really great original horror. And actually, I just caught, uh, I, I was reading through the uh, cast list. I think I just caught another Easter egg, <laughs> a, a horror Easter egg, which there are really? a, number, a number of. I'll tell you in a second. Oh, right. um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, was, I was pretty blown away. Some people have been a little disappointed because they were expecting something more terrifying. Um, and I think the trailer does, the trailer is really freaky. And I think people were going in maybe thinking it was going to be something like hereditary, something like incredibly terrifying, but it's not that kind of horror. It's, it has to me more in common with something like the twilight zone and black mirror than just like jump scares and, you know, screaming that, that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I really loved it and I'm actually going to see it again tomorrow with a different group of people. I, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Uh, Jordan Peele is very quickly emerging as an auteur, which for anybody <laughs> who doesn't know is a filmmaker who all of their films have a similar kind of feel to them. You'd say somebody like Hitchcock is an auteur or Tarantino or even Michael Bay with his ridiculous explosions. Like Jordan Peele is developing a very clear um, standard for his approach to films. It is a uh, very paced cinematography. It is a, a, a fascinating cast of characters that are very well cast and played. I wanted to make sure we talk about that good music. Intr intriguing horror, but nothing too scary. Mostly just visually creepy. Like, ultimately, yeah. not a whole lot of jump scares. Um, man, I, I have a lot of good things to say about this movie, and we should dig into it. And the first place <laughs> I think we should start is the plot. There is a bit more under the hood than what you see in the trailer. And by a bit, I mean a lot. And, like, that's... I guess that's the same as, like, Get Out, because I remember Get Out doesn't show all that much in the trailer, and then mm -hmm. you watch it, and you're like, oh, okay, there's a whole lot going on here. Uh, what did you think of that? Were you able to follow the pace okay? Is it a little too all over the place? How how how, how outstanding was it? It was pr pretty easy to follow for me, and th what really helps it is the premise. Every everyone going into it being familiar with the premise. It's about these creepy doppel doppelgangers, you know, that are us um which is a double meaning and that's one of the, the the themes of the film is this duality you know it's represented visually with this these clones uh but there's i mean us is a double meaning uh there's lots of that kind of uh, things going on uh, i i was really into it and, and again the why is more intriguing than than kind of the the how like meet we meet the doppelgangers in like the first act that's we meet them pretty pretty early on that's uh -huh. not the, the big thing that that's going on but it's slow the slowly unraveling of the tale of who they are where they come from why they're there are what's really interesting Right. I, I think the trailer, it doesn't really beat around the bush, it, yeah, but I think it makes it look like there's a bit more of a struggle to uh, put these characters in the same room as their doppelgangers, that there's a whole like house invasion kind of thing. No, that happens pretty fast. They, they, the, 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 the doppelgangers don't mess around. They, they get into the house pretty quick and, and the movie unravels from there. But in the best sort of way, um, brilliant performances all around. Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke were <laughs> almost unrecognizable. And I mean 
seen that. Like, I could not believe these are the same characters that are in movies like Avengers or in the AMC's The Walking Dead. It was stunning, both of them. Like, really incredible performances, uh, especially as themselves. And the doppelgangers, it's important to note, each of these characters play their double as well. So there's a whole <laughs> second bit to that. Uh, the kids as well were really good. Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker of... Tim and Eric was a weird casting decision. I'm going to be honest. He stood out to me, but otherwise, uh, but he, they played... he works so good though. It's, it, it's the right, <laughs> it's the right kind of casting. Yeah. It was, it was, it was tough for me, but <laughs> there's a bit of before. Yeah. Before we get too far down the road on that, what, what did you think of the cast and any, any concerns, complaints performance wise? Um, it, great cast, especially the, the child actors, an excellent job. I really thought that they would kind of not be real important, but they're, you know, is equally as important as, as kind of the main characters, which the, the main character is um, Adelaide, which is Lupita Nyong'o's character. She is uh, the lead in this movie. And, man, her performance as Red, which is the name of her doppelganger, is so creepy. Like, she she talks, like, we've heard her talk a little bit in the trailer, but at, uh, when, when they finally get in the house, there's this long extended monologue and she just has the most creepy voice like man i was like uh, i'm having to listen to this for like five minutes and it's the creepiest thing i've ever i've ever heard um so she was so good again the kids the kids are good and and um okay go ahead go ahead no, I was going to say, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, her performance as Adelaide and then alternatively Red, um, Red was was really stunning. This, she, I mean, she she talks like she's getting her freaking skin pe- peeled off. Like, it's insane, like the delivery on this. And the her ability to uh, keep her eyes nice and wide while delivering her line and start crying is like really something i'm like I, I'm, I'm looking at like what is going on under the hood here and and Lupita Nyong'o, her other her, her main character adelaide i'll be honest she was a little confusing at first tonally it's tough to figure out where she's coming from but as you discover okay she's kind of a damaged character she's struggling with a lot like it really comes out in her performance and you understand okay i get why she's doing the things she do she does i understand there is a bit of struggle with with being able to cope with Jordan Peele's sense of humor because there is a bit of humor in this movie. Yeah. I, I don't want to ignore There's that. quite a lot. Quite a there, lot. There there is yeah, and and that does help kind of decompress things a little bit. Uh, and and I think sometimes it's it's tough to get those lines out, but for the most part, like when it landed, it landed. When it was scary, it, it was scary. I, I thought it was really effective. How did you feel about that balance of horror and comedy? Uh, the comedy w- was a good break because when it's funny, it's really funny. Like there's a lot of good jokes. The uh, the theater was erupting with with laughter a lot, and it's it comes from everyone. It's not not just all one character. Although Winston Duke uh, probably has more, uh, he's he gets a lot of the punchlines. Um, it it wor- worked for me. Some people have complained that it's there's too much humor in it, but I, I mean, how can you how can you say that? <laughs> you know, right. it, it it definitely makes it uh, tonally interesting to have really dark elements and then lots of, of lightheartedness. I, I really appreciated that. I did too. And, and I don't want to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a far comparison here. And I worry somebody out there is going to be like, Oh my God, how could you, how could you say that? But no, no, no. This movie blends horror and comedy similar to how I think of something like Sam Raimi's evil dead or evil dead Two. Like obviously not the same caliber, but like, it's just, it's a weird thing to walk that line, but it's doable in cinema to walk this line between horror and funny. And I don't know why, but like Jordan Peele clearly is experimenting with that and trying to find like that balance. And, and he might, he might have it in this movie a bit because it's, it's just a really, it's a, it's a really charming watch. Um, we should talk about the music and the look of it, right? The look and the sound, mm-hmm. uh, you, which one do you want to tackle first? Please take it away. Uh, why don't we t- talk about the look? So, I was really impressed with the cinematography in this movie, and one of uh, w- what really stood out to me is is uh, someone said that it's very dark, like the film looks very dark, and that's true. But what's amazing is is how he pl- he paints with blacks is what I'm what I'm going to say. There's so Ooh. many times when everyone's face is just barely obscured, but you can kind of make out like oh, there's a that, that you can see a person's nose or a little bit of their eye and some teeth, but it's just like he's he's playing with the light and the shade of it. And it's what's interesting is you can do this because it's an all black cast. I, I think you would have a hard time if it was kind of like a uh, mixed skin color. So he's really doing something that I haven't ever seen, and he does it a lot in the way he plays with light in people's faces and kind of how people look like they look like shadows, which plays into this theme of like you know our our doubles are kind of our darker selves or the selves that we hide from others. 
Yeah, there's this fascinating duality. About half the movie takes, well, a little more than half, takes place at night, and the other bit is during the day. And this is set out in California, Santa Cruz. So at night, it's dark, it's hard to see. I don't want to say you're in, like, hereditary levels of, man, I, I, can't, I can't quite make that out. It doesn't get there. But when he wants you to see something, you see it, and when he doesn't want you to see something, you don't. And you get this real cool kind of creepy effect of characters kind of crawling out of the of the background of scenery sometimes that really puts you in a, in a surprising place. During the day, I get some just just kind of just really fascinating stuff. There's a great shot uh, uh, where, where Adelaide, Lupito Nyong'o's character, is walking outside on the beach, broad daylight, and it is, it is, it's almost hard to make out her face, and it is so freaking bright out. And I don't know what that means, but I also don't know what the hell it takes to compose a shot like that. And he makes it look effortless. The camera is just there, and it's, it, the shots are slow and long takes, and, and they it slow pans and slow pullouts and slow zoom-ins, and, like, it just gives it this, this odd kind of, like, voyeuristic feel. Like, you can't look away from what's happening, you know? It's, it's, it's really... It's really haunting, and it's really effective filmmaking. Not a lot of cuts. Takes its time. It's a patient movie, and I like that. I, I want to talk about the music. Uh, obviously, yes. uh, I got five on it. Is is kind of the title <laughs> song here? And man, have I, I I didn't know a whole lot about that song. I've been listening to it for the for the last forty eight hours since I saw this movie. What do you think? Yeah, that, that using that song and and kind of using it in an orchestral sense is really cool. We we've seen a lot of this uh, more recently, kind of in trailers. A lot of times, we'll, we'll see a song. I, I think of Avengers: Age of Ultron. Took that, that song from P Pinocchio and did like this really kind of dark uh, orchestral version of it. Um, so it's something that we we've seen more and more, and it's it's really cool to see that treated to a rap song, a hip hop song, and used in both ways. It reminds me a lot of what Barry Jenkins said uh, in Moonlight. He said, you know, we we want to take the art house to the ghetto instead of always taking the ghetto to the art house, and so we bring in like instruments, and it's not just all um, electronics. Um, and then the, there's other there's other parts of the score that are also really good. It starts off with a, this really creepy like chant thing uh that's you know it's i don't it reminds me of something like from the omen oh god it reminded me of something from like akita like yeah, yeah. Uh, japanese chanting children like really really odd stuff yeah so there, there's that stuff and then there's just you know the the kind of stuff that just creeps you out it's that very modern avant-garde 20 20th century uh kind of uh sound to it so it it does the music is a big part of it creeping you out mm uh, lastly, I don't know if you had any other big topics you wanted to cover, but I wanted to talk about Jordan Peele's movies, especially Get Out. There's a bit of a social something to them, uh, right? There's a message yeah, there. And with Get Out, I felt like it was a bit more on the nose in this one. What is this movie trying to say? What, what, is, what is the message between this Hands Across America theme, which I know you don't know what that means when you're listening to this podcast, but... Keep an eye out for it in the movie. It's there using imagery like Michael Jackson's thriller, lots of mirrors, duality. Uh, I want to talk about why there is a black family of four and then alternatively a white family of four who are friends in this movie and what that means and how they interact with each other. What did you get out of this? Any hot take? Because I don't know. I, I haven't figured it out. And I'm hoping if you have, please write me and tell me. Hopefully Andy's got, got some answers. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too far into it because I think a lot of enjoying the movie is deciding for yourself what it means to you. One of the things that I took away, we mentioned that that um, Adelaide is a traumatized character. And to me, I felt that the movie was a lot about the, the trauma of, of violence, of childhood violence, of domestic violence. Because it, it's never explicitly shown, but her her parents, um, you know, when she, it, it has some scenes when she's young in 1986, her parents are, are fighting a lot. And you kind of get the sense that there was maybe uh, like a domestic violence issue or something because she's kind of traumatized for the rest of her life. So this is what I got out of it. I think I'm maybe the only person who got that out because I've read some really wild interpretations. Um, the duality is, is a big thing. And again, I don't want to get into to too much, but there's so much there. Jordan Peele has said this movie is not about race, and it's important to go in knowing that. There, that said, there are still lots of kind of 
uh, racial iconography, and it's hard to not think about it. But that's that wasn't the point of this movie. That he has said that's exactly what Get Out is about, but uh, not so much this. So there's a lot to take away and a lot to think about, and it's 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 really brilliant. I think that that's part of of why he's so good. Well, like I said, I don't have any hot takes on this right now. I just watched the movie yesterday. Is uh, we're coming up on as of this recording. 24 hours after me having watched this movie, so it's very fresh in my mind, but I still haven't processed it all. Maybe I should go looking for those those uh, an- an- analyses you were talking about, and I can figure <laughs> sure, it out. Sure. But uh, any other thoughts on this movie before we get to recommendations? Yeah, one real quick thing. So there are some references to other horror things we mentioned. Thriller. Uh, there's a couple of ref- references to The Shining, which I actually missed, and I didn't. Uh, someone had to point it out to me later. Um, but another one that I just I was reading through the cast list here. One of the doubles, their their doppelganger's name is Wayland, which of course is a reference to Alien, the Wayland Utani Corps, which is oh wow the company of the Nostromo. <laughs> I would not have made that connection. Yeah, huh. so it like Jordan Peele. I mean, he loves his horror and he he knows it. Um, so yeah. it, it's cool to see that stuff um, pop up. And like I I just realized that reading the, the cast list. Andy, uh, would you recommend us? Absolutely. It, it's scary. It's funny. It's got a lot to think about. There's incredible performances. I mean, people are, they're buzzing about maybe some Oscar talk for Lupita Nyong'o. Maybe that's, uh, you know, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I loved this movie. It is, it is every bit of, of original. The, the first word in original it, it is funny and engaging and spooky and creepy and, 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 it's one of those horror movies where I'm sitting there in a dark theater, right, in a couple rows all by myself. There are people behind me, but I went and saw this on a Monday night. You understand. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm trying to like just sit closer to myself and bring my arms in because I'm just creeped out by the darkness around me. It is such a fascinating movie. I enjoyed it so much. The performances are brilliant. The music is great. It looks awesome. I can't wait to see what Mr. Peel is doing next. A solid recommendation from off script. Two thumbs up, I think, is is what we've got (laughs) going on here. Well, with that, we should talk about... This Apple TV Plus thing. And before we get into it, Andy, please, do you want to intro the segment? This is the death of cinema. So yesterday, Apple had a big two-hour event, um, or maybe not quite that long, uh, where they came out and announced their new streaming service, um, which is going to be called Apple TV Plus. Which is a total ripoff of Disney Plus in, in name. I think they're hoping people will get confused. Andy, save the editorials for the for the segment. Come on. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they, they announced uh, their service. Uh, they actually didn't give a lot of whole. They didn't give a lot of details. What they had is a dog and pony show where they had a lot of different celebrities come up, including Steven Spielberg, who has for over the last couple of years been pretty against uh, streaming movies. Um. They, let's see, so it's going to be an app, it's not going to be a device, it's not going to be hardware like Apple TV currently is, um, it, the app will be available in May with the service being available in late um, fall. We were not given anything on price or anything that, it will be a subscription service. Uh, like I said, they paraded a number of celebrities out to talk about their shows, uh, Jason Momoa, Jennifer Aniston, uh, Camille Nanjiani, who, and again, these shows look and sound good there there were some small uh snippets of things um i mean they're swinging for the fences trying to create great content to take on netflix man i i i I, i've got so many mixed mixed opinions on this and for anybody thinking this is a movie podcast why aren't you talking about spielberg oh we're gonna get there we're gonna get to the spielberg stuff but give us a second let's just break this down for the people who don't know all right relax uh, the first thing, Oprah Winfrey, who was on stage with Mr. Cook and Mr. Spielberg, made a great point. Apple is in a billion pockets, y'all. That's what she said, all right? A billion pockets. I respect that. It's true. Apple is the biggest phone manufacturer in the world, as far as I know, as I say that very definitively on this podcast. Uh, I get it. Apple has very, very wide reach, and that matters. And I bet they can advertise the hell out of this to people. Every time I open my music app on my phone, it's like, hey, Apple Music, have you heard? Yeah, I heard. I don't I don't want it. Again, and the next time I open it, it's a quick reminder that, hey, this is a cool thing. They can tell everybody to get this. They can practically brainwash you into having it. 
But what I want to know is, how is it any better than something like Netflix or Hulu or HBO or Amazon or anybody else that has a streaming service? Stars has a streaming service, for God's sake. CBS has a streaming service. What am I getting out of Apple Plus that I'm not getting anywhere else? And what it looks like is original programming, right? That's their whole thing. They got people coming out. Jason Momoa was on stage, like you said, talking about his original programming and what they're going to make. But ultimately... They didn't sell us anything. They didn't tell us anything. They talked about, in this two-hour presentation, they talked about Apple News Plus and their Apple Games Plus subscription or whatever. I, I wish they had talked more. Like, hit me with some trailers. Hit me with some goods. You know, get me excited about this. Ultimately, this, this just felt like, to me, kind of an empty promise, you know? This thing is going to be cool someday. Uh, what did you think about that? Yeah, I wasn't impressed because I, I want to know the nuts and bolts. I want to know how much is this going to cost? Yeah, I don't care what's on it. That's, that's most of of what. And I mean, there's already so much great programming out there. Uh, HBO is, of course, kind of the leader in premiere programming. And then there's all the other streaming services that already everyone already else has. So why would I sign up for it? The only thing that I can think of, and this was said very early on, that there there would be a possibility that if you own an Apple device capable of having the app, so like a phone or a tablet or uh, the computers that the streaming service would be free Ooh. or that, that it would come. So that that would change things a bit because that would mean I already have it. Um, but if I have to pay for it, I mean, I'm already paying for three streaming services as it is. I'm not going to add another one. And I, I can't think of any show that I would just want to watch so bad that I would ditch it. And I, I already feel this way about Disney+. Plus. If there's anything I'm ditching, it's going it's, to, or anything I'm getting, it's going to be for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking about Disney Plus with Christine the other night. Uh, we're, we're, we're definitely getting Disney Plus because we want to know what's going on over there. And you're right. This whole Apple TV Plus thing definitely feels like a dig, especially just using like the symbol plus instead of the words. But word, uh, I, I, I want to know what this original programming is like. I like that Big Bird ruled out on stage because Big Bird is, of course, an HBO property. And I know they said, well, we're going to collaborate with HBO. Wouldn't it be great if Apple TV Plus became kind of a great unifier? What if it was, hey, if you have this, you don't get all HBO, but you get some and you get some stuff from stars like that would be really interesting. And they could totally do a rollout where they said hey uh we're launching it the first two weeks are free for anybody on an apple device just to try it out you know i'd love to see what that looks like but ultimately i don't know if that would benefit them that'd take some serious bean countering counting in hollywood to figure that out so let's talk about steven spielberg can we do it now is it time? yeah 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 Let, let's Please, Let's. you 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 have been very fired up about this. I heard about a a, a spat you had online. Uh, please right. tell our tell our audience. Got into an internet fight. Yes. Yeah. So Steven Spielberg came out, and you know, talking about a series he's going to do, and um, I didn't really listen to it because I was too too busy looking up the comments about about Steven Spielberg because. For over probably the last two years, he has said about streaming, that like Netflix specifically, those are not real movies. This is killing cinema. These are TV movies. He has gone on to more specifically say that he has a big problem with Netflix's distribution window, um, you know, because they, they you know, well, they just want to have, they'll, they'll put their movies in the theaters for two weeks just so they can be eligible for awards and they shouldn't do that. But that's, so that's actually, I did some research, that's completely wrong. Roma ran for 13 weeks and it's very normal for uh, an Oscar-nominated film to only run for a couple of weeks. That's that's a normal thing. So for him to get all up in arms, it's only about Netflix, and then come and endorse its competitor, you know, a month later is seems very hypocritical and disingenuous. Yeah, it's man, it's real tough for me to be on Spielberg's side here, and I know how insane that sounds. If, if I can hop in a time machine and go back and tell myself ten years ago, "Hey, I'm from the future." Uh, in 10 years, you're going to think Steven Spielberg's full of shit. I I'd be stunned. Like, come on. That's, I, I don't believe it. But, dude, like, come on. This is the guy that made Ready Player One about, like, an alternative future with virtual reality and stuff. Not only is he out there disparaging Netflix and the future of digital media as we know it and arguably cinema, but now he rolls up on stage with Tim freaking Cook from Apple to talk about this sweet digital media service they have. It's ridiculous. Like, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you just hate somebody over at Netflix because at this point it seems personal. I don't get it. 
So what's the deal here? What's the gag? Who's this idiot online who told you you were wrong? Is it that it's a TV <laughs> service only? What, what, am, what am I missing here? We were splitting hairs about, uh, you know, he was saying, well, he, he's not against streaming. He's just against, you know, Netflix uh, co-opting the system or, uh, you know, gaming the system to get awards. And, you know, basically people... And, and it's not just him. The, the Academy has a problem with not only the the distribu- distribution window, but the fact that they don't report box office. the The fact that they um, that their movies are, I mean, Roma was available everywhere in 110 countries. That's a lot of it. Just sounds like complaining and whining and crying because someone else is doing something better there and smarter than you. Well, I uh, I, I agree. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? Who, I know who I'm knows right. right now? Yeah, well, you're right. I want to see the nuts and bolts on this thing, and I can't. So for now, I guess all we can do is speculate. Um, any any other thought? I, I guess ultimately, Andy, is Apple TV Plus killing cinema? Uh, no, because I don't think a lot of people are going to get it. I mean, we'll see what kind of movies are going to be on it. But like I said, we, we've reached kind of a subscription uh boiling point like people can't take on more <laughs> subscriptions and and they're just going to pick and choose that's what i'm going to do if i find something i really like i'm going to drop something else like i might drop netflix for disney plus we'll see but i'm definitely i'm not definitely not going to keep just collecting uh, subscription services yeah and i think like i said i think the thing i'd like to see the most out of something like apple tv plus is collaborative efforts uh, i got an email from spotify two weeks ago saying hey uh, if you don't have Hulu, guess what? It's free with your Spotify subscription, which as far as I know is still a standing offer. you got to watch it with ads, but it comes with it because Spotify and Hulu have partnered now. Disney, after this 21st Century Fox merger, owns Spotify or owns Hulu, right? They have a majority stake. So now that's a whole thing. I don't know what that means for Spotify, but it's interesting that these things are starting to work together. Not only would I like to see more of that, but maybe maybe with the, with the presentation of Big Bird, Apple TV Plus can start to lay that groundwork and bring people together and 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 stop dividing families with their streaming services or God knows what. <laughs> I want to leave people with a little bit of an update about if we're going to find out any more on this. What we know so far is since 2017, Apple has spent well over $1 billion on original programming for this service. Five shows have completed filming. Another half dozen will be finished in the coming months. They've ordered two dozen series altogether. We don't know what they are. We don't know what they're about. We don't know who's in them. We don't know anything. They've kept that all very under wraps. But for what it's worth, they're doing something over there. Nobody spends a billion dollars for nothing. So, I don't know, Andy. Any any kind of release date? Do we know when we're going to know more? Or do we just kind of stay I'm- tuned? I mean, we know fall was all we were told. Um, Disney is releasing their their service at the end of the year or end of 2019. Uh, that's that's all we know. Yeah, it, I definitely wasn't sold very well on it. And because part of what happens to me is I'll see like a really cool show or I'll see a really cool trailer for something. Then I'll find out it's on a service I don't subscribe to. And I just say, oh, well, I guess I'm not watching that. Neat. So I feel like that's exactly gonna ha- what's going to happen with this. Um, because what I am excited about are things like the Star Wars live action series that are going to be on Disney Plus, the Marvel live action series that are going to be on D- Disney Plus. I know we don't have much more time to talk about this when we need to move on to Cold War, but just for a second, real talk, dude, imagine opening up Disney Plus and seeing either every Disney film ever made or a slick little Marvel tab where it's like, great, here's every Marvel movie. Like, it's insane to me just to imagine in my head, and you can click on any of them and watch them. Whenever you want. It's almost too good to be true. I'm thinking it won't even work out that way because there's no way they can make it happen. But they're Disney. Why couldn't they make it happen, right? For the low, low price of $9.99 a month or whatever, you can you can relive the magic. I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to see. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? Uh, I, th- I think we're ready to move on. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I wish it'll always be interesting. And tune into Offscript to let us know uh, what you think. Write us a mail at Offscript Film Review to let us know if you think this is a great idea or a bad idea. Hit us up on Facebook. I don't know. We'll get to the plugs at the end. For now, <laughs> I cannot wait to hear Andy Draper hang himself out to dry on what may be the most challenging summary I've ever heard for a film on Offscript. Uh, not really, but man, did I have time with this movie. And we'll get into why in a second. Andy, please take it away. Cold War.
serduszka, cztery oczy. Oj, oj, oj. So this is uh, the, f- the foreign film by Paweł Pawlikowski, who was a uh, Polish director. He was nominated for Best Director. Best Foreign Film and Best Cinematography. Uh, I was really surprised that he was on the Best uh, Director list, just out of prejudice, (laughs) because I I hadn't actually seen the film. Um, But now, after seeing it, I definitely uh, understand why. Uh, The film is in black and white. It's in Polish. It's in 4 by 3 ratio. It has a very old look to it. Um, So about the story. So it it takes place, or it starts in 1949, post-war Europe, um, we're in rural Poland, and we meet uh, kind of a traveling musical group that is recruiting uh, rural women to uh, be in the show, and a, a show that will showcase uh, folk dancing and folk music. Uh, so we meet Victor, who's a composer, pianist, and he's uh, you know on the audition panel. And then we also meet Zula, who's uh, one of the girls who comes to audition. Uh, Zula is a fabulous singer and dancer, and very quickly uh, she joins uh, the, the song and dance company. And these two eventually uh, start up a relationship uh, to the surprise of no one. <laughs> and then what what follows is, is a very tumultuous uh, a romance between these two that covers, uh, ends up covering about 15, 20 years. And... Uh, they kind of are on again, off again. Uh, they they struggle with uh, the political backdrop because this is all happening within uh, you know the Soviet Union and and right along the the Berlin Wall. And it follows them over fifteen years as well as the development of the poli- what's happening behind them politically and also musically. And the music is a huge part uh, of this film, um, and it's also beautifully shot. Uh, so that's a setup. Zach, what did you think? (laughs) Um, Man, this is such a brilliant example of like a movie that I honestly, in in a way, adore and and respect. This movie does so much right. It checks so many boxes for things that I think are just so neat and so cool. And I want to talk about everything I like about this movie. But damn, was this movie dry. Oh, oh, I was dying. I was so bored. And like, it's just, it's not that it's bad. It's not. It's so good. And I want to talk about why it's good. But man, it is just not for me. And I want to talk about why that is. Andy, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> so I'm on, on, on the other side of the spectrum. Um, I loved it. I, it really spoke to me. I was hooked in like the first five minutes. Um, it, it was a little dry, like you said at the start, but then it grabbed me. And I think part of it is the music is a big part of this. And um, as a musician, this is very much in the realm of what we call ethnomusicology, the, the study of eth- eth- ethnic music. And that's a lot of what's kind of happening here in the the beginning which is eventually kind of uh exploited but the performances the themes the look it is beautiful like black and white you know i used to think black and white just meant old movies from the 40s and 50s and this kind of has a little bit of that look initially but man when it gets to more modern times just the black and white is so crisp and when used right it's stunning i think of something like mad max the black and chrome edition like watch mad max and black and white it'll blow your mind so let's, why don't we start the conversation here? Because if I wanted to start it somewhere, I'd start it on cinematography. But that's probably not the best place to start. That confuses people, right? Uh, what do you think? Plot? I don't think we should start on music. We should probably get to yeah. that, but we can if you want. Please, you, you lead this one. Okay, yeah, we'll start start on plot. So, um, again, we meet Victor, played by Thomas Cott, and Zula, played by jo- Joanna Kulig. Um, they have this very interesting relationship where they are crazy in love with each other, kind of I'll do whatever they do, whatever I, whatever it takes to be together. Um, but then also don't work very well once they are together. They, um, you know, they just like don't work. It's this weird thing, but they're so uh, passionate. But again, all this is falling in the backdrop of the political system they're they're in uh, Soviet Poland and they have to be very careful about, you know, what they say and that if they're being spied on and, you know, being sure they're supporting the, the Stalin re- regime, all, all these things. There are some heavy decisions that are made here by both people that's, that surprise you. And sometimes, sometimes they do. And then sometimes they don't. And they're, they're just so, uh, th- their relationship is so complex and it gets into this theme that I, I read a review and uh, talked about this. Otherwise I probably would have missed it. This theme of simultaneous incarceration and freedom 
where they're you know they live freely in Poland but they're in the Soviet Union and then they're they live freely in Paris but they're trapped by the the society it is and this is a theme that's seen throughout uh, the whole movie in kind of di- different areas. Man, I here's. Here's the thing. The plot is very smart. It moves over a series of years. We see our characters get a little older over time. We have these significant jumps. It is an 88-minute film, so it moves pretty quick for what it's worth, right? We're, we're not wasting a whole lot of time, and, and I thought this movie was a lot longer originally looking at the trailer. It looks like it's going to be a big epic, and it feels like it. It doesn't feel like an 88-minute movie. It is a lot of long, slow takes. We'll get into cinematography here in a second, but I would argue this plot is fairly intelligent. And I'm yeah. not going to say it requires you to have a pretty basic understanding of, of uh, war relations in Poland in, in, in this time, but th- just assuming I know nothing about Poland and the war, man, I, I just felt out of place. I was like, what's going on? Why aren't they together? I, I don't get why they're not... And like I couldn't, I couldn't make that connection. And like I, it probably came across in dialogue somewhere, but... Visually, this movie's really engaging, and it was tough for me to be like, I'm going to read subtitles the whole movie. Like, I, <laughs> I just, I struggled with that, and I struggled with the dialogue, because it's Polish, and, 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 you know, even in translation, they speak a little differently, and, like, I just couldn't make that connection with the plot. I couldn't, I couldn't, I struggled to really get into the characters. Uh, it's just, a, it's a smart movie, and I'm a dumb audience member. And so a lot of people like me, I think, would be put <laughs> off by it. That doesn't make it bad, all right? That just makes it a smart movie, so keep an eye out for that. But I agree. I, I do like the way it goes. I like the progression of character. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, uh, one of the things that I love about this film is that it's it does so much of show, don't tell. Um, wh- one of the, the early th- examples I can think of, uh, there's a scene where Zula and, and Victor kind of s- spot each other across the room and just kind of look really deeply and at each other and then the next scene they're getting undressed and there's this whole like you don't have you don't have to like guess like you can figure out what happened uh in in between and the movie does a whole lot of you knowing you being able to fill in the blanks and a lot of that is being able to fill in the blanks of the cold war which if you grew up in poland in eastern europe you're a lot more familiar than if you're an american and it'd be like trying to explain the civil war to someone in europe Right. And to be fair, I, like, I'm not going to argue, like, I'm not going to s- stand here on this show and say, hey, every movie needs to sit me down like a five-year-old and explain to me exactly what's going on in the setting. No, that's not the case. Because you're right. If this was a movie set during the Civil War, I totally would get it. I- I- exactly in the way this movie tells its story. This is a foreign language film, primarily made for foreign audiences. It's not made for a guy in Texas. So like that's you know <laughs> yeah. that's that's where I struggled, but you were able to connect with it. I wasn't. That's hey, that's okay. Like that's movies aren't necessarily made for all people and that's all right. So uh what did you think about well shoot, what what, what do you want to go next? Let's go with the music. All right. Uh, so like I said, it starts out w- with them recruiting girls to be in this uh, this kind of folk dance and song uh show and so at the first third we get a lot of exactly that we get the, these really incredible numbers of you know people in these elaborate costumes singing you know traditional uh polish songs and folk dances and i mean they're hugely choreographed routines that probably took a whole lot of work and i see why he was nominated for best director because it's like that's that's an incredible thing to to put together. So we get a, a lot of that kind of music, which is really good, and it slowly transitions in into film music and then in into jazz because that's where um, Thomas or not Thomas Victor eventually end, ends up uh, when he's in Paris is you know working for the movies and then uh, playing at a nightclub, and so it, it slowly transitions into jazz, and Zula eventually becomes a jazz singer, uh, which. She, she does. She's got an incredible voice. And I don't know if it's her singing or not, uh, but it whoever it is sounds amazing. But the music tells the story in a lot of ways, just as much as the visuals do. Um, and a lot of it, and again, I had to read this, but apparently one of the songs we hear early on that's one of the folk songs is eventually heard again later as kind of a rearranged jazz number. Wow. Well, I didn't catch that. Uh, Neither did I. Here, I had to here, read about it. Okay. You mentioned something earlier, and I want to revisit that. Ethnomusicology, right? The study of, of, of foreign music. If you're thinking, listening to this podcast right now, that you can't imagine any Polish music, it's because to you, 
odds are you're in America, it might be a little forgettable. And I had that problem. Like, it doesn't, their rhyme scheme follows a similar structure when there's lyrics to music, but the way their melodies progress is different, right? You don't expect a, you expect a certain kind of tone of harmony. I I don't know how to best describe this. You're the music maker. Who am I kidding? But it's just a little different. And, And to me, that makes it hard to remember and hard to connect to because their music sounds almost spontaneous. Um, it's, it's kind of tough to get, get into, but once you start to get into the jazz, that's where I'm like, okay, I get this. This is good. And a quick, a quick, a quick movie, movie making lesson for anybody out there who doesn't know. There's a difference between this thing called diegetic sound and non-diegetic sound. I've talked about it on the show before. Uh, here's what it is. Diegetic sound is movie that is sound that takes place within the world of the film, right? You've got a character that walks up to a jukebox, slides in a quarter, and hits play, and the Beach Boys start playing. Diegetic sound. It's within the world of the film. The, mo- the characters in the movie hear it. It's, it's, yeah, it's diegetic sound. Non-diegetic sound is like uh, action music you'd hear during during a Liam Neeson fight scene in Taken, right? That's not actually playing. There's no band playing that music in the world of the film. It's outside of the world of the film. The characters in the movie don't hear it, but we do. What's interesting about Cold War, a movie so focused on music, as far as I know, Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, there is no non-diegetic sound in this movie. Everything, all of the music is in the world of the film. Somebody yeah. is playing it. Somebody is singing it. Always, which means if there's a scene with no music, it's silence and and conversation, and yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> and that makes it a little dry sometimes. And that doesn't mean that the stuff with the music is bad. I think of a movie like uh, Roman Polanski's The Pianist, a movie I adore, is almost exclusively diegetic sound, and it works brilliantly. Um, but using only diegetic sound in a movie with music I have a really tough time connecting with makes it challenging for me to enjoy the soundtrack for what it is. Now, later in the movie, I can connect more, but early, it's tough. And it's those early times, like you said, where the movie kind of hooked you. It felt like it left me out in the, uh, pardon the pun, cold. (laughs) Right. Well, to discuss the music a little bit more, uh, probably a good parallel would be Oh Brother, Where Where Art Thou? When Mm. they went out to the Appalachian mountains and found these, you know, people living in the mountains, I guess, and, and re- recorded and brought this folk American folk music to the masses. And that, and that was a huge soundtrack. It made tons of money. Everyone bought it. it. It It's a classic. And so this is kind of that for Poland, which again is, is still, it's difficult for, if you're not from there to uh, kind of relate to it, but uh, it's that same kind of gesture of, of taking our our music and and really just being in love with it, right? Um, like I can I can appreciate it totally when I'm watching the movie, but I can't hum it. Like none of it sticks, you know, because I'm not familiar with that structure of of sound. So like that kind of I don't know. That's just tough for me. Right? Yeah. But definitely. good music. Good music for what it's worth. The music is <laughs> not bad. Um. So you, you said that you know the, the scenes without music are, are kind of dry. So I guess what hooked me during that part is just a lot of the dialogue is really sharp. And the dialogue itself is an example of of show don't tell. Uh. You know. You know. Uh. Zula has a colorful past. She's allegedly killed or slash stabbed her her father and allegedly did, did some jail time. And it's when I first heard that that I that I that you hear that about five minutes into the film and I really kind of perked up. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> these, these characters are, are interesting. But, uh, to me, there's so much that, that's so well set up through, through the writing and the dialogue. And another example is, um, after this, this, uh, folk show is doing really well, they kind of have a meeting and say, uh, you know, we really want this to kind of, uh, talk more about the leaders and, and the land re- reformation. And one of the, you know, musicians, it's like, well, that's not what folk music's about. That's not what we sing about. And then one of the other kind of uh, people in charge really panicked, kind of goes, oh, no, no, we can definitely do that. There's, you know, we're definitely capable. And then the next scene is them pulling up this Stalin poster. And then you realize, oh, that's why we need to support Dear Leader, because we're probably going <laughs> to die if we don't. And that's just a, a brilliant setup through dialogue where even though people are talking, they're not telling you everything. There's still a lot you have to think about and figure out uh, for, for yourself. So the, the writing is a lot of what grabbed me as well. But you, again, you really got to be focused and into it and paying attention. So let's talk about the cinematography. Let's talk about the look of it. Uh, it's black and white. It's four by three. It's 88 minutes. What does that mean for the look of this film? How, how did you feel about it? 
I think it's meant to really take you back to that time period, late 40s, 50s, when lots of TV and a lot of the footage we have from that period is that exact ratio. Um, so I think it's meant to really pull us back, really feel in that in that time period. And like I said, it starts off with kind of gritty black and white and eventually gets very like lush and you know, I think of these jazz scenes that are happen later on. They're so sharp, and there's this great contrast between Zool's wearing a black dress, but she's very light-skinned, and it's it just looks beautiful. Man, you, you hit the nail right on the head. This Like, if you're thinking when we talked about the cast, if you're thinking about jo- uh, Joanna Kulig and, and Thomas Cott, uh, no, you haven't seen them in anything. I'm almost certain you haven't. <laughs> and because of that, because you don't recognize anybody in this movie, the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, the black and white, my God, it looks like they went back to the 1950s. It, I, it is so hard to remember when you're watching this movie. This was shot last year. It feels like you're in a different time. It is so convincing. And you're right. That progression of black and white and that lush, crisp look. Like, so many people think, when they think of black and white, they think of, they think of like, grainy, crappy VHS footage. Because, I don't know, you're a kid and that's what you saw. And, like, no. No, 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 no. That's not what this is. It is a gorgeous movie and that's not even to mention just the things that aren't like direct scenes with characters in them there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, a b-roll in here of, of shots of the sky or a tree or or a painting and that stuff is just so hauntingly beautiful in black and white black and white film is crazy underrated man i really love it and this movie checks all the boxes does a great job cinematography is gorgeous in cold war yeah, I, I, I fell in love with the look of it. And there's so many scenes, and I think it's probably just like tripod where, the, you know, you don't get a lot of fancy movements with the camera. You just get scenes that are set up. There's lots of scenes inside of a church, of, you know, in these clubs, in, um, you know, a lot of concerts as well, film recording studio. It's just uh, all these different places, but the camera stays still, and you can kind of take in everything that's happening. Yeah, I, I, I was just crazy impressed by it so i'm gonna be honest andy i'm kind of running out of steam on this uh but i'm I'm not the one leading this conversation you are so uh what's next what do you think well again what one of the the big themes is is about this duality of of being incarcerated or being trapped but being free at the same time and and we see that in their relationship in that their you know the political situation of the time the different when they're in poland things are in you know they're trapped and free in one sense, and then when they're in Paris, it's the same thing in the opposite direction. Um, we see this theme re- repeated throughout, and, and apparently, it, it's a you know it's an ode to uh, Pawlikowski's parents, um, who he said they were deeply in love, but like really terrible <laughs> to get together at the same time. Mm. Um, so, so it's an interesting thing, and it what it reminded me of is this idea of like you know that thing that you want so bad. Sometimes when you get it, it's not as great as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. I don't know like, what that means. In, like, in the, care, in the, careful what you wish for. <laughs> right. I, I don't know what exactly that means in, in the in the aspect of the Cold War, but uh, I, I'm going to be honest. Like I said, I, I I had I really struggled with this movie, but I really like it a lot. Uh, I'm I, I think I'm about ready to move on to recommendations. What What else do you think? Let's Let's talk talk about it now. What, what do you got? No, no, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm All ready right, to go. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend Cold War? Um, I I definitely would. I, but I, I recognize that it's probably not for everyone. Uh, but I did think it was uh, this really, you know, charming, tragic uh, story. It in in the backdrop of the Cold War. It looks incredible. It sounds incredible. Good performances, uh, and I see exactly why this was nominated for best cinematography and best foreign film and best picture. Um, I, but I, but I, I recognize you know black and white films with subtitles. <laughs> And maybe not for everyone, uh, but if but if you're new to if you're new to foreign films, I would encourage you to watch this one because it is short. It is not you know a ninety minute or it's not a two hour affair or longer. It's 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 a it's brief. It's something I think a lot of people can re- relate to in one way or, or another. Uh, so I I would recommend it definitely, but there are definitely it's not for everyone at the same time. <laughs> I am giving it a yes with caveats. I've got it. Um, because, man, yeah. <laughs> I, I like so much about what this movie is on paper. Like, the look of it and the feel of it is great. But, man, I just, I didn't, it just didn't grab me. And if I had, if I had to nail that down to one thing, it'd be watching it at home. Watching it on Amazon Prime, on my television, from across the room, with light coming in the window. It, it hurt it. Having my phone right there, like, that that didn't do this movie any favors. Man, if, if I could watch this 
like I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey, Texas theater, dark, loud, like that's the way to go. That's the way to see this movie. I think a theatrical experience is really what it's due because it's a movie that, that almost requires your immediate and undivided attention even through the parts that are slow to really build up to the power that the power at the end, you know, that that's what matters ultimately. And I wish I could have had a better experience with it. You might. And if you're thinking about, yeah, I listen to this whole freaking review and I'm kind of interested. Well, do yourself a solid, turn off all the lights, turn up, the, turn up the sound and, and, and put your phone in the other room. And maybe you can get into Cold War better than I did. I struggled. I'm going to revisit it someday and I'll bet I'll <laughs> like it more then. But Cold War, a good movie, just not for me. Right. And I, 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 sorry, I, it did remind me of, you know, compared to Roma, you know, Roma is also black and white foreign film, which is two hours long. Roma is a real commitment. And I would hesitate to recommend to that to someone who maybe isn't in foreign films. But I think this is a little bit easier to swallow. I agree. It reminded me of Lo- Roma a lot, of course. Also, in an odd way. And hear me, hear me out. Way, way long shot. A little bit of the favorite. Just, I don't know, there's some there's some odd, like, you know, shots of, like, scenery and stuff that I was just like, that just seems, I don't know, atmospheric in, in a certain way that reminded me of The Favorite, but uh, maybe you didn't make that connection. Uh, we should talk about what we're doing next week, because that about wraps our show. Uh, you should know next week we are taking a break. We're moving some things around on Offscript, but we will be back. We promise. Uh, next week, The Beach Bum comes out, the new Harmony Korean film, and I want to watch it. Uh, we may not talk about it because the week after, we get uh, Shazam and some other movie Andy had mentioned Pet, that I don't know. Pet, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> that's yes, right. that's it. And it feels like we should probably talk about both of those, but I, I want to watch that Beach Bum movie. I want to see what that's about. I, I believe the reconnaissance is real. If <laughs> you right. enjoyed the show today, if you liked what we had to say, if you weren't so into it, e- e- into it good Lord, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook. We're on Instagram too, so check us out over there. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing. We appreciate it, guys. You're the best fans ever. Uh, thanks, Jeff, for writing in. I'm sure he won't get this far into the new review, but hey, here's hoping. Uh, Andy, any final thoughts, I guess, before we get out of here? Uh, none. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Well, from all of us here at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.